Yep, yep, there we go. Okay, all right, well, good morning. All right, well, my name is Seth. I'm one of the, the pastors here uh, at Salem. Um, it's great to be back with you this morning. My wife uh, and, and daughter, are really our entire family, um, got some extended uh, vacation away uh, kind of these last couple of weeks, kind of in, in prep and amping up for fall and, and all that stuff, so it's good to be away. Uh, we spent some time um, with, uh, with my in-laws who live in Madison, uh, Wisconsin, and uh, one of the things that we did uh, as a family is that we all, uh, it's kind of like this family tradition, uh, they don't do it every Saturday, but whenever we're there, we go because I have a certain requirement that, that I need to fulfill while I'm there, and that is the Madison Farmer's Market. Um, it's this massive, you know, right around the Capitol. I mean, like, like vendors travel from, from hours and hours and hours and hours to be at this place. It's a huge piece of their income. Um, and uh, for me, I'm like, hey, this is great. It's awesome. There's tons of people. It's fun. I'm an, I'm an extrovert, so it's life-giving. Uh, but really, I go for one reason, and that's Stella's spicy cheese bread. Okay? Um, this is just like one little tiny corner you know, of this space. And so people are kind of crammed elbow to elbow and they're walking around this thing. So it's even hard to stop at times and, and to do this. But this is owned by uh, a friend of mine's brother and it started a while back. And, uh, and I tell you what, um, it is the single greatest bread you will eat in your entire life. I mean, it's, it's, it's hot, it's, it's soft. And as you rip it, uh, the cheese just like comes out and strings, you know, and, and it's got that little, little, little tiny spice flavor. Here's this little picture. That's like after like two minutes, you know, like, like here's me. Here's Seth. Okay. So I like food. I'm a foodie because that's what I value. I would walk around that entire thing and eat that loaf of bread just so I could go back and buy another loaf of bread. That's how good this bread is, which, which by the way, I heard uh, Kent gave out M&Ms last week. Super not fair. Um, <laughs> but I'll say this. Just, I mean, this isn't going to work, but just to make myself feel better, just imagine that today's communion, which it is, but imagine that I brought spicy cheese bread for all of you. And, <laughs> and we just passed it down. And because we're, post, we're, we're after the PTSD of COVID where we can't touch things, you know, and, and so you could just rip off something and just toss in your mouth. So good. So just, just picture that. Just smell it for a second. It's so good. <laughs> So good. Here's the deal, though. Um, I can't do that, and here's why, because it would be way too expensive. Um, this loaf uh, of bread, when I was last, when I lived in Madison, was $7. The today, which is steep, uh, today it is $13. So, you know, while your stomach says yes, your head says no, right? It's like one of those things, like as you go around the block and you go, man, like that's a lot of money. And yet, here's the deal. We buy, we spend money on the things that we value, don't we? As a foodie, I love food, and so I'm okay with spending money on food because I love food, and that might be different for each, uh, each of us, um, but we spend money. And, and I don't know about you, but if, and maybe if you're like really good at, at, at working through budgets and that's something you do at home, that's part of your job, you might be really good at this, you might understand just how expensive life is, but for the rest of us who maybe aren't as gifted in that, we may not realize until we take a close look at our bank statements and our credit cards and all those things, just how expensive life is. 
It's incredibly, incredibly expensive. Um, I mean, you think um, you got kids like, well, actually, Nikki, just the other day, she said, Seth, I'd love to, to get Eden into a dance class. I was like, that sounds great. And she goes, it's $45. I was like, ah, easy. She goes, oh, wait, no, $45 a month. I went, what? $45 a month? I'll te- I don't even know how to dance. I'll teach her how to dance for $45 a month. You know, it's like crazy, you know, like, and then you think about your kids as they grow up and you're like, mom, dad, I want to play hockey. You're like, hey, that's great. Uh, Skates cost $1,500. What? You know, like, it's it's just crazy how expensive certain things can be. We value our cars and driving and you're like, hey, um, until something goes wrong and it breaks and you got to take the mechanic and you're like, what's wrong? Cool. How much is that? Oh, no. This is painful. It's expensive even to put gas in our cars. At this point, you know, life is just is expensive. Your glasses break. You need new glasses, right? Just like all these different things, they continue to add up. Now, here's the deal. Go back to kind of transport back to, to Madison for a second, because as I was eating this bread, I thought, man, you know, it goes really good with hot, spicy cheese bread in the morning. Coffee. <laughs> You're like, that doesn't sound good, but to me, it does. You know. Coffee. I hadn't had enough coffee yet that morning, so I'm like, I'm gonna get some coffee. And without blinking an eye, without batting an eye, I go and I spend my whatever three dollars on my americano, um, and uh, and I and I get it, and I walk out, and I'm taking my first sip, and I look down, and like there's this in this moment, there's this life satisfaction, isn't there? When you like you just you just ate cheese, hot cheesy, spicy bread, you're having your sip of coffee, and life is wonderful. It's like the strings in your heart are singing for a moment. Right? And here's what happened. I looked down, and after I took the sip, I looked down and I saw a man sitting on the pavement. And out in front of him were all of his belongings. And he wasn't out there to say, look what I have. He said, would you like to buy something that I have so I can eat some food? And all of a sudden, it's like a whole other heartstring is plucked. And you begin to think and ponder about how we spend our money and we think about these things. So this morning, we are going to talk about money. Please don't leave. There's a lot of things we can say about money. I want to present some things to you from Proverbs 3 that I think will be really, really that I think will be really good, and, they're, and they're, they call us in, in many ways, as we'll look at the New Testament even, just that it's going to call us to be generous like Jesus. But in that moment, here's what I want you, like that Madison moment, as I looked at this man, it reminded me of Proverbs 22, 22, which says this. It says, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Because it was in that moment as I looked at this man and I saw all of his belongings and I'm thinking about drinking my coffee, my, my $3 Americano and then my $13 cheese bread. And I, and I see this difference and there's this dissonance between us. And yet in this moment I'm going, you and I are the exact same. And what God, just, what the Spirit just hit on me in that moment was this idea, this mantra that all people matter to God. No matter socioeconomic status, no matter race, no matter gender, no matter age, no matter ethnicity, whatever it is, all people matter to God. In this moment, this morning, we want to look at what does God ultimately say about money because it should stir this question inside of me. Like, let's not just be opposite and think frivolously and that it doesn't matter, it doesn't care. Let's ask honestly, what does the Bible say about money and what's my view? 
Because the question is, are those two views in conflict or are those two views working in harmony? That's the question that we're gonna dive into this morning. So if you've got a Bible, I invite you to join and turn over to Proverbs chapter three. We're in this series called Wisdom for Life. I just wanna reiterate that as we talk about wisdom for life, we're not saying that Proverbs about just how to live a good moral life. What we're ultimately gonna point towards at the end is how wisdom calls us to long to look like Jesus more and more every single day. And today, and how we view our money. So before before we jump into um, Proverbs chapter 3, just want to show you this, because what's going to happen in these first 12 verses, I just want to lay out the pattern for you, just so it's in the back of your mind, you can jot it down in the notes of your Bible, you can go back and think through this. What the author is doing is he's setting up kind of this A, B pattern. If you don't know, Proverbs and Psalms are of the, the genre poetry, okay? And so what he's going to do here is he's going to go A, B, A, B all the way down through the first 12 verses. The first like kind of stanza is about man, and then the second stanza is about God, okay? So as you look at these two things, what comes to mind as you think we're in the Old Testament, we're in Proverbs, what, what the author is actually doing is pointing us towards this covenant reality because this is the way that God works in the Bible is that he establishes ways in which he interacts with his creation. Ultimately, that's finalized and completed kind of in Jesus with the new covenant as our hearts are remade into, the, into, into brand new like insides, like people, right? Um, and yet, in the Old Testament, what it was built on, this covenant was built on, here are the, the stipulations of man, and here is God's promise. And so depending in the Old Testament, you would look at it and it was like, well, if I was obedient in the way that I was designed or the way that God says, this is what I need you to do, if we were obedient, we would receive blessings. But if I was disobedient, then I would receive the curse. And so it's this idea of justice and, and discipline kind of, kind of altering back. But what you'll see in these is that there are these things that are presented in these first couple verses. In the first part, the, the odd numbered verses are about man, and the even-numbered verses are about God, okay? So you have that covenant language in the back of your mind, because you're going to see that kind of come, come to fruition here uh, in, in a little bit. So chapter 3, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Okay, two words, a couple words I wanna, I wanna pull out to kind of get us started here. The first one is, is the word keep, okay? So when you think of the word keep, you hear that word, especially in light of covenant language, we might look at this and go, gosh, okay, so what he's saying is that I just need to be obedient, right? If, I, if I'm obedient to the command, then I will receive the blessing. If I'm disobedient, I will receive the curse, right? We might look at that. The word here in Hebrew is actually much deeper than simple obedience. It's actually a word that, that portrays this idea of guarding with vigilance. And so what he's doing is saying, and remember, he's talking about your heart. Let your heart, like, keep my commandments. So he's not talking about the, the imperative or the command. He's not saying just simple obedience. What he's saying is that I want your heart to guard with vigilance. There's this deep intrinsic desire for us as humans that we would long and desire to protect God's commandments and covenants with everything that we have. 
And that's what he's getting towards. I want, you to, I want you to guard with vigilance. And I think there's this underlying assumption because sometimes in life we just go through our daily stuff and we see whatever moment passes in front of us as this opportunity for this simple, rote obedience kind of a thing. It's like, well, I just need to obey. I just need to be simple, just obey. And sometimes when we do that, what ends up happening is that we actually miss the deep underlying complexities of life. And so what the author here is pointing us towards is that don't just simply obey, don't just go through life like this, I want you to guard with all vigilance, everything that you have, I want you to look deep into these things and I want you to know what you're believing moment by moment by moment, right? Because there's danger in missing some of those things. He says, I want you to guard with vigilance. And when we do this, his promise to us as people is the idea of peace. He says, I, I want to give you peace, right? I will add peace to your life. And so when you think about peace, um, I would ask you this question, like, why is peace so important? Why is peace so important to you and to our, and to the, to our nation, to our culture, to the history of humankind, all of that? Have you ever heard anybody say they come home from a long day, and maybe, um, maybe you've never heard this because the first service was like dead silent. Um, have you ever heard somebody come home from a long, hard day of work and just say, I just need a moment's peace, right? Okay, cool. You guys get it, I guess? Um, I just need a moment's peace. What are they saying? What are they, what are they doing in that moment when they say this? Is they sit down on the chair and just... Phew, and kerplunk into the space. What are they doing? They're acknowledging that life is tremendously hard, aren't they? Right? Like work is physically, emotionally, mentally exhausting. It can be, right? And it's just, it just, it just wears it out of us. And that's not even to mention the people. You're like, ah, oh, people, they can be the worst, can't they? People uh, can be, uh, they can be demeaning, they can be quarrelsome, they can be gossipy, they can be judgmental, they can be demanding, and you're like, oh, people. And you get, and it's like, I just need a moment's peace. And what we do in this moment, what we're expressing is that, gosh, what happened today is not the way that life is supposed to be. What we're doing is we're creating this creation narrative where we're longing to go back to when life was different. And in the beginning of creation, as God brought in Adam and Eve, which by the way, sin enters into the world later, right? And so Adam and Eve are still designed to work. So peace is not the absence of work. Peace, the way that it's designed, is actually what we call the shalom of God. And the shalom of God in the creation story is when every single thing in life is working in perfect harmony the way that it's designed. Humans and nature, humans to nature, humans with humans, nature with nature, everything is working the way it's designed without brokenness, without chaos. It's, there's still work, but it's... Here's what happens, is that when sin entered into the world, right, we are designed to bear the image of God. When sin enters into the world, what happens is that the whole scenario is inverted, right? And we long to bring glory ultimately to ourselves, right? And we become selfish, and that's who we are. So at the end of every single day, what we're tired of is this repetition over and over and over of the way that the world is currently, 
And we long, we long for peace. We long for things simply to be the way that they're supposed to be. Right? And it's not so much even just looking back into the Old Testament, into the Genesis, right? It's actually pointing us forward to Jesus and ultimately to the very end when all of that will be finally restored and God says, this is eternal life. Everything is the way that it ought to be. Without sin, without tears, without pain, those types of things. Do you, do you see this? You see peace in this moment, peace in Proverbs 3 that he's talking about here is he's pushing us back to the shalom, ultimately, of God. And so here's this question then. How do you and I have peace in a world that is broken? So if we come back over here, right? So the very first thing that he points us to is the idea of Shalom, right? This is the peace of God. This is the way that everything is meant to be, um, and this is, you know, that Genesis account. But when sin enters into the world, it creates this brokenness and division between God and man. And so who, like us in this moment, how is it that you and I can experience at least in some way, shape, or form peace in such a broken world? Well, here's where he transitions as an author, and he reminds us you can have that, and it's through this thing called trust. Trust is where we're going to go. Look at verse 5, okay? Look at verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths, Right? Uh, when you hear that word trust, um, you know, when I was little, and I think I've said this before, but when I was little, I used to ask grown-ups what you're learning about, they were learning in their faith, and, and inevitably, nine out of ten people would just say, I'm just learning how to trust God, and I was like, you're boring, like, grow up, man, like, you're 40, you should, you should be better at this than just figuring out how to trust God, and yet, the older I get, I'm like, at the end of every day, I go, man, trust is so hard. How great would it be if when life's worries popped up, you're like, no big deal, I'm just trusting God. But what do we do? We panic, don't we? Why? Who are we trusting? Us. Ourselves. Right? We are. Right? We tend to trust ourselves. That's the result of our fallen nature, right, is that we want to trust ourselves. Um, let me just, can I just take a deep dive here for a second and just kind of nerd out with you because I love these things, and if you don't like it, you're like, I'm going to tune out for 30 seconds, okay? Um, in Hebrew, the word trust is the word bata. Bata is unique because in the Old Testament, whenever that word is used, it tends to have a negative tone. And what it's saying, it's, it's indicating, is that whatever you put your trust in actually is going to turn out in the end to deceive you, right? It's actually in all of its derivatives, all of the words that come from it, what it's saying is that whatever you're putting your trust in, that's a false sense of security. And you're like, wow, that's really neat. Why use that of God? Why talk about Yahweh in that way? Because I think that the author is setting up, he knows, he's creating an antithesis here. He's trying to invert our trust. He's taking us back to that moment when he says, when, when life changed and it became all about you, trust is now all about trusting God. Because for us, you and I are most, the, the thing in life that is most deceptive that will always give you that false sense of security typically comes from right inside of here. 
That's the nature of the human heart. False security is most of all inside of us, right? That's why the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, right? Don't trust that. Trust God. And that's where he transitions, right? He says, trust in the Lord. Now, so here's the deal, right? So he's promising for us as, as readers, he's promising that there's peace for you people. He's, he's promising this to all of the readers. Um, here's, here's what I want you to, to take home. I think this is fascinating, and you can jot this in the side of your Bibles. It's super fascinating. When you come back to this covenant language, and you think about the idea of keeping the commandments of God, you would think that that's a command, wouldn't you? God says, keep my commandments. Does that sound like a command? It does, doesn't it? It's not a command in the Hebrew. It's expressing a desire. It says, my hope is that you would actually guard with your heart those commandments. Do you know where the imperative is? Trust. This is not about being better. It's not about following all the rules the way that you're supposed to, the way that that is. Here's what you need to know. You want peace in your life. It comes through trust. That's the command. That's the imperative. And he says, here's the deal, right? He's inverting that. He's reversing the nature of the fall where we would most naturally trust in ourselves. He's trying to re-invert it and say, trust in Yahweh. That's where trust needs to be. That's where peace comes from. And he says, and when you do that, you need to do it with all of your heart and you need to do it in, in every area of life because the moment that you don't do it in an area or the moment you don't do it with all of your heart, that door gets opened and guess what? Who are you gonna start to trust in? You. It's gonna come right back to you. That's why he says, that's why he creates it. He says, do not lean on your own understanding. He keeps going back to make that point. Trust not in yourself. Trust in Yahweh. And he says this in verse 7. Here's the promise. He says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Here's the promise. Verse 8. He says, this is God's part, right? Because remember, man part, God part. Here's what God says is true. It will be, when you do this, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. That's the beauty of this idea of generosity, right? It's this beauty of trust in the Lord. That's what ultimately leads us towards peace. And so you, know, you ask this question, you go, man, what in the world does any of this have to do with money? <laughs> Right? It just kind of like we're setting this up. You go from, from peace and shalom of God all the way down to trust. And here's what we know. It starts with shalom. And so what God is, is ultimately telling, what the author's communicating, is that God is about life transformation. He is moving the world and he's creating this story that's unveiling chapter by chapter by chapter through time and he's moving creation back towards shalom. That's where he's going. But in the midst of the brokenness, we have to trust God in everything. And so what he's going to do next is he's going to say this. Out of that trust comes honor. Because here's the question. When you start to think about the things that we trust, we need to ask ourselves this question. What am I trusting in this life that ultimately I think brings me peace. Because even though we know 
that it's God alone, if we are to take a close look at how you and I spend money, my guess is that more often than not, and more money than we realize, we're putting money into the things that we think will bring us peace, even if it's things like coffee, the simple little things, right? And so what he's going to say in verse 9 as he switches over to this, as he talks about honor. And really what he's, what he's really setting up is to say is that as you understand the shalom of God, if you understand that in all things God alone can bring you peace, then what's going to happen is that that's going to get reflected in how you steward and spend your money. And he starts with this word honor. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And so what we're going to find here as we start is that as he's talking about the first fruits, right, he wants us to, to start thinking about how the best of everything we have is ultimately, first and foremost, going to God. And it starts with this word, uh, honor. Now, again, I'm going to dive in deep here for a second. And just, just bear with me here because then I'll pull back out. But this idea, this, this word in Hebrew for honor is a super cool word. I love it. It's the word keved, okay? Kevin, if you just think about that in your mind, Kevin, and I'll give you a way to remember it, give it, uh, remember it later. Uh, but here's what it means: it means to be heavy, weighty, burdensome. Right? You go, man, that's like a weird way to talk about what we're supposed to do with God, right? In our money, like there's this heaviness, this burden, right? This weightiness. Here's what I love about this: is that when this word is used in the PL form, which is what it says here, it makes it. It's not just an action. It's not just that something is heavy. It creates this intensive action. And so what he's saying is that I want to make God as heavy as possible. Like, I want to be a part of this. And so he's kind of creating this image of like, if you have your gold and your silver, he's like saying, add it to the scales. And it's like, God is already heavy, but it's like, I want to give him everything, the first fruits of the best that I have. I want to make him as heavy as possible. And when it's used metaphorically, then it becomes honor and glory. Do you see that? It's about making God heavy and weighty with glory. It's about giving him that which he already has, right? Which he already, he already has. Um, here's the deal. If you want to remember, try to remember this word, um, or you want to jot it down in, in your Bibles, you can, but if you want to just a picture memory, don't put the picture up yet, but I'll, I'll share this with you. Um, I grew up um, watching this movie uh, called Home Alone, right? And it's kind of a, you know, sometimes a Christmas tradition to watch this because it happens over Christmas. There's this moment where this young boy named Kevin is left at home, right? And his mom and family, they, they leave on vacation. Uh, and the mom is constantly like wondering, like something's wrong. Something's, something's not quite right. What, 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 is, what is happening? Like, what, like we're supposed to be on vacation. And then on the moment, in this moment on the plane, here's what happens. And she goes, Kevin! Like, I forgot Kevin. And there's this weight in that moment of like, oh my goodness, like this is so bad. Here's what I want you to do. Reverse that. Don't think about the fear. Think about the joy and the excitement of giving to God and going, Kevin. See, I can do it too. <laughs> Not Kevin, Kevin. You can remember it. 
It's this excitement and this glory that we're giving ultimately to God. There's a word in Hebrew that also means the opposite of this, guys. And it means this. It means to make light of, to regard as trifling or frivolous. Sometimes I wonder if that was me in my life as I thought about my money and how I related to God. Because what God says, what Scripture says, is here's how I want you to honor me. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. And he says, do it with the first fruits of all of your produce. Now, in that context, right, as, as farmers were, were growing crops and doing all these things, or, you know, they have sheep, they have goats, they have all these things, right? The best and the first fruits of everything that they had without blemish was to be brought and given to God all of the time. That was the way it was designed. Bring it ultimately to God. Now, here's my, here's my thought. I want to take a step back because even though we're talking about money, I want to think bigger picture because what's the most valuable thing in your life? You. You were created in the image of God. Right, So you go back to the creation story, and as we're put on this planet, we're put on this earth, God says to you and I, he says, I want you to go reflect my glory. Right? Go and reflect. So that's something that happens in our very lives and by the very things that we do. Our money is a small, small thing to offer to God in light of my entire life, an entire, my, my entire image. And yet, what God says is that this is what's right. I want you to take the first fruits. It's such a small thing, but I want you to take the first fruits, the best of what you have, and I want you to give it back to God, right? It's right and it's fit that the first thing of everything that we have goes ultimately back to God. And here's the reality is because, guys, God is in, he is in the business of life transformation. That's what he's about, right? He, doesn't, he knows that he wants to give good things. He is a giving God, but ultimately his mission and his plan that's unveiling is about the good news of life transformation by grace through faith in his Son. That's what he's ultimately about. And so we're called to give our first fruits to that. Here's the deal, though. Oftentimes in life, it just, and this is a result of when sin entered into the world, what happened is that as we're inverted, we're meant to give glory to God, and all of a sudden we want to give glory to ourselves, what ends up happening is that we transition how we spend our money. So if the first thing about how we honor God is he says, I want you to give your first fruits, I want you to think about this, okay? That's uh, you, for, you, for those of you who are, like, it's a triangle. I know, I get it, it's simple. But this is like the science equivalent of change. Okay, so I'm representing that God is in the business of life transformation. He says, here's what I want the priority, priority to be. This is what I want. This is what I deserve, okay? But what happens is that when sin entered into the world, we take all of the money and we change it from life transformation into lifestyle. Because lifestyle is about me. And lifestyle is about what I want in life. Do you get that? Now, uh, when we were in Madison, uh, when we were in Madison, we went to, Nikki and I went to this little coffee shop to get a little coffee date, and it was great, and so we went to this place called N plus one, and we got there, and I thought, oh, this is a strange thing. I wonder what N plus one means, and here's what was on the wall. Uh, while the minimum number of bikes one should own is three, the correct number is N plus one, where N is the number of bikes currently owned, 
you always need one more. I was like, what an interesting name for a coffee shop. Which, by the way, just so you know, it was marketing because he had a bike shop on the side right there. But all the same, <laughs> for you and I, maybe you're a bike person, maybe you're not. But when we look at this equation, I think we'd probably be lying to say that this doesn't resonate with us. Because it's something, there's always the next something, it's always the next dress, the next book, the next movie, the next couch that fits your living room, the next patio something, the next whatever. It's always something that comes next. And here's the deal, when we think about lifestyle, like we live in a world that it makes it so easy. Like do you remember that there was a time when you, in order to buy something, had to have physical cash? Like you had to carry money in order to make a transaction. And then checks came into the world, right? And it wasn't just like you write a check and you hand it to somebody. You put it in this weird fancy machine and they <laughs> and shushunk it and you're like, cool, I'll have my check back and they get a copy. And you're like, how archaic is that? Because when credit cards entered in, it revolutionized everything. And now they have chips, right? That you can just tap things, how convenient. Is that we have Apple Pay, right? All I have to do, I don't even have to carry a credit card. I can just carry my phone because it saves all the information. I just put it right there. Ding, done. Coffee for Seth. Uh, Amazon, like, what does it do? Like, it, it it remembers your your username and it remembers your password for you. So all you have to do is click login. Done. Uh, yes, please. Estimated time of uh, arrival tomorrow at noon. Click yes, and you're done. It's so easy for us. It's so, so easy. This is, this is crazy. These things add up. Now, I, want, I don't want to give you a lot of, a lot of these, but I want to give you just two, just two things. Um, did you know that the average American spends more than $1,000 on coffee a year? You're like, wow, that's a, that's a lot of coffee. Which, by the way, if you're a millennial, they say that that's doubled, so <laughs> I don't know. Here's, here's the other thing. One-third of Americans spend more on coffee in a year than they do investing in their future. You see, it shows, for many, is that our priorities are a little off. And so here's the deal. When we focus too much on one thing, right? This is the inversion. We're designed to give our first fruits to God, but we invert that and we oftentimes spend money in frivolous ways. Like we don't really care. It's these small little things and we spend it on us. But when we do that, we end up missing an entirely other category, which is right here, which is all about human needs. And those needs relate to both us and to other people. Look at this in, in Proverbs 30. It says this about us. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. Here's the deal. Like hardwired into creation itself, into ants, is a representation of how we're to save money. This is important. These are part of our needs. Savings are a good thing, but it's not just savings. You think about our daily needs, our food, our clothing, all of those uh, types of things. You could throw education into our needs as well. And yes, I know Jesus said, do not be anxious about anything, about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. Why? Because God who clothes the lilies of the field in more splendor than all of Solomon and all of his riches. Who wrote Proverbs? Proverbs, Solomon. So even then, when it comes to us, there feels like there's another priority here. Think about this. Think about the needs of other people, right? Look at this in 19.4. Wealth brings many friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. 
You see, when you make money, hang on a second, go back. When we see when you make money and you have lots of money, you may not have great friends, but people will flock to you. You don't have money, you're going to lose. And there's loneliness. Think about that. Next one. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Next one. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do it. And it takes me back to that man on the sidewalk. I guess I'm not saying you need to go give money to every single person who needs money. It's a lot of times, that's probably not the best way to do it. We do sell like carry bags or help bags in the back that you can put in your car and hand out. You can buy granola bars. You're still spending money, but you're buying the things that people need to give them in those moments. Maybe it's the spur of the moment as you're walking and you sense, man, that person needs a meal. Maybe it's a friend. You go, man, I just need to, I just need to be generous and give them something for whatever reason. Maybe they need it. Maybe they don't, right? I don't know what it is. We need to be wise about these things, but if it's within our power to do it, generosity is, is what God calls for. And here's this last one. It says, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Yeah, I think that sometimes we make a lot of judgments and assumptions about people in this world who maybe are a little less fortunate than we are, and yet this takes me right back to Proverbs 22:2, which says that God is the maker of both, and that we are in the same story with the same story, that we are removed and separated from God apart from his grace. And if I don't care, then it's like I'm mocking not just them, but God who even made them. And so this is where we look at this. As we wrap this up, we go, do you see where there's tension here? right? There's this shalom, the way the world ought to be. There's this trust that we have in God, not in ourselves, in the brokenness of that world. And part of how we trust him is to honor him with our money. And the first fruits are meant to go to God. And yet, oftentimes, what we end up doing is bypassing these other things. We don't save money. We don't plan well. We don't budget or whatever because we come from right, right here, and yet, there's this tension, and we go, gosh, God doesn't tell us. I want to tell you this. God doesn't tell you the percentages that should go to each, but it does tell you the priorities. Love God, love others, and then yourself. You get that. Now, some of you are going to be like, well, Seth, it says 10% in the Bible for giving and tithing. Yeah, that's great. 10% is not the mandate. That is a guideline. Maybe for some of you, you're like, guys, I don't have any money. I can't give. Okay, we get that. You know, maybe some of you are like, I, I can't give 10% right now. Maybe some of you are like, 10% is exactly what I need to do. And maybe for some of you, it's 90%. I don't know what that is. The percentage is not the mandate, the priority is. Give God your best, then others, and then yourself, right? That's the way that the gospel ultimately compels us to live. And so what the Proverbs, the author of Proverbs is saying is, because guys, there's a better way. There's a better way than just throwing it at ourselves. And the better way is actually through generosity to God and to other people. And we remember that Proverbs is not about simple morality. It's not just about living a good life. It's about wisdom that points us to Jesus, that says inside of us, I want to navigate through the difficulties of life. And in so doing, I want to look more and more and more like Jesus every day. 
And so here's, I know this is a sermon about money and this is a passage about money, but here's what I, I'll take a step back and just say this. Would God make us to be generous like Jesus? Because that's the gospel. Above all, generous like Jesus. But in regards to money, my hope is that we shift from this negative to positive view, that we stop painting fearful pictures around money, but these positive pictures. Instead of thinking about everything that could go wrong, what if we started thinking about everything that could go right as our priorities come into alignment? What if we stopped being anxious about money And what if instead we were excited about talking about money? Because what we realize is that when our priorities are in line, what we remember is that God is in the business of life transformation. I can trust him because he's moving us to perfection. He's taking us to a place where the shalom of God will be the reality for the rest of eternity so here, I want to invite the worship team to come forward, and I want to give you just a couple of quick encouragements, though, as we, as we end. Remember that we're moving towards shalom, right? That's the, that's the top. That's the umbrella. We're moving towards the peace of God, and that's ultimately where God wants to go. And in the midst of the brokenness of that, we trust God ultimately with our salvation. But in regards to money, here's my encouragement, is that you would honor him in such a way that you say, man, I'm I'm a generous giver. I'm giving generously to life transformation and ultimately what God wants to accomplish. The second one is this as you think about the needs of others and as you think about the needs of yourself, would you serve others wisely so that you can serve yourself in the needs of your life? And the last one is this. I'd encourage you to think, how do I live appropriately? Because this is why budgets are so helpful because even in the small things in life, I'm a knick-knack guy. I love buying knick-knacks. I love chips and guac at Chipotle. But the little things, if that's not in my budget, what it can end up doing is throwing out of sync the priorities that God has called me to reflect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we wrap up our time this morning and as we move into communion, Lord, I pray that you would be, would be reminding in us that, that shalom is the end That's where we're headed. That's what you want to accomplish and and that we can trust you ultimately in the midst of that. And and for first and foremost, more than anything, was we turn in communion that we would say, gosh, we are people who trust Jesus with our very lives so much so that it covers everything. I trust him in all ways, in all areas, with all of my heart that I would choose the priorities in this life that he has called me to choose. And that the, to know that it's not about being better, it's not about following all the commands, but the command is to trust. And so Lord, would you just spur our trust this moment and would you make us a people who are generous like Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.